to another episode of Ask the Doulas with Gold Coast Doulas. I am Alyssa, co-owner and postpartum doula, and today we're talking to Trisha. Hi. She is a postpartum and birth doula with us, also our multiples expert that teaches the multiples class. Um, Tell us about your multiples. Uh, They are two. Um, I have identical twin girls. Kira and Rosalind. Um, they also have a big brother named Gideon. He just turned four. Okay. So it's so very for a busy. while there, you had three under three. I had three under two. Three under two. I had three under two. They're twenty three months apart. So wow. Yep. You are Wonder Woman. <laughs> um, so when the girls were born, they had a significant NICU stay. They did. And I know parents get really nervous about NICU. And Kristen had talked about her. She her daughter had a three week stay. How long were your daughters? They were in just over six weeks. Um, Kira was okay. in for 41 days, and Rosalind was in for 45. Okay. So tell us a little bit about the birth story and how um, they ended up in NICU and what you you and your husband felt. Yeah. Um, my girl shared a placenta, so we okay. had issues for a little while. They were monitoring really closely. Um, one of their placentas was velamentous cord insertion, so it was palm-shaped. And it was attached to both the placenta and my cervix. Um, Kira started detaching off of the placenta. So there were two placentas. One. No. One together. They shared one had two cords. Okay. So they had separate sacs. There are three different types of twins. We were the second safest, I guess is the best way. Momo, they share a sac and share a they share everything. Okay. Um, one so, sack, one placenta. Yeah, which okay. runs risks because umbilical cords can twist around each other. Um, we had the safe kind of an identical, safer. Two where, sacks. Two sacks, but shared one, one placenta. placenta. Um, so, yes, they started to do a twin-to-twin blood transfusions back and forth. And so placenta just kind of died. Um, we're starting. Um, so Kira came out pale and not breathing at 32 weeks. And sister came out 30 seconds later. We had an emergency C-section because Kira was originally breached. So we were going to be a C-section regardless. She was baby A. Um, But it became more emergent when they realized that she was having issues with her placenta cord or umbilical cord. Sorry. Um, And so they both were intubated within like seconds. Um, They're... Scores were super low. I want to say Kira's was like a one. Rosalind's might have been like a two or a three. Um, So super low at birth. Um, I think the scariest part was we had our son first. So we knew that they come out crying and happy. Mm -hmm. And the doctors, when we came into our C-section, were talking about vacations. And by the end of it, the entire room of 30 people was like silent. Um, so yeah, my husband really had a hard time with that. We both started crying. Um, both girls were fine. Um, Kira was pretty much whisked straight down to NICU. Uh, Rosalind was a little bit more stable, so they were able to, um, have her lay next to me. I have a photo of her little finger and my finger, um, as they stitched me up and Mm -hmm. her just kind of sitting there. But then she was sat back down with sister. Um, thankfully I had a postpartum doula sitting. My husband left for about an hour. Um, it was a very traumatic for him, uh, to have both of his girls and me and the whole. So he went and had his time. I really still to this day, two years later, have no idea what he did. Yeah. He said, I know he went to through a drive through and I know he sat in his car and 
cried, but I had my support for me. So we both were able to be where we needed. And my support was amazing. Having that doula there was, I honestly could not imagine being in a room with no babies, no husband, because he needed, he needed his time. And yeah, I was like, she was phenomenal. And, um, we had a NICU nurse come upstairs a couple hours. It was a good couple hours and brought pictures and had weights and both girls at that point were stable. Um, both were intubated. Great. Um, the NICU doctor was a little concerned. Um, Kira's hemoglobin was at an eight and Rosalind's was at an 18. They think it happened within the first, like that last couple hours when the umbilical cord started being funky in the placenta because it can go so quickly. And they okay. really don't think it had to have been a couple hours because I was having contractions for a good 48 hours before the girls were born. They just weren't consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had had steroid shots prior. They weren't going to stop labor if anything, because at that point they didn't think that it was when it was going to happen, it was going to happen. Um, so, but she felt that Kira would do a lot better if she had a blood transfusion uh, because her hemoglobin was so low for even a, an adult, let alone a baby. But blood transfusions for babies are really little. You think blood transfusion, you think these huge. Right. It's like a little like syringe amount of blood. It's super little because they so were so So did they little. explain that to you? Because I think if somebody told me, hey, your newborn baby needs a blood transfusion, I would, I don't, I would just break down. Yeah. So they said this is literally like what it looks like. So they just pump new blood into their vein? Yeah. It, they, they did it through her head okay. um, because the head veins are so nice um, and with babies, they still move. They're little babies. She might be three pounds, but they're tough little, yeah. tough little things at three pounds. And so they go through the head cause it's a really good opening. They don't have to worry about getting more than trying to do it more than once. Um, and so yeah, it's a really little amount. It's a little syringe. Thankfully. Yeah. They did explain some of that. Um, by that point I was pumping. Um, I was was able to thankfully talk to a NICU nurse prior to going into NICU. Um, So I knew that without the girls, if I wanted my milk supply to go in, I needed to have a pump within three hours. Um, I had to kind of fight for my pump a little bit, but I was able to get a pump for that first three hours because I was determined to have that. Um, I was able to see the girls for the first time a little after midnight. And they were born at 6.52 and 6.53. So it took about four hours for me to get down there. Um, couldn't hold them or anything like that. They were little things. Um, but at that point, Kira had her blood transfusion and all of that. Um, they were, yes, very fragile little things. Um, what goes through your mind? At that point, I think I was just so happy to see them okay. Yeah. That I really, I don't think that there was much else because I had experienced the, them, her coming out, not breathing mm-hmm. and her being whisked away and, knowing that I almost didn't go in that day. They were going to send me home. When I went into the hospital, I went, came in with contractions every eight minutes apart. I was a centimeter and a half dilated. They thought they would give me some fluids and send me back home at one o'clock. I went to the hospital alone, drove a friend's car, was in my nephew's preschool class that morning. Like nobody had a clue that these girlies were coming. (laughs) And then 3.30, doctor comes in and you're dilated to a three. We can't send you home. You're an automatic C-section. I can't send you home. Contractions haven't stopped. 
you probably should call your husband. Husband's going, do I have time to go get my oil change? I'm like, no, honey, I don't think you do. Imagine, like, I don't have time for this. Maybe that's what he did in that two hours. Right. <laughs> I got a burger and my oil changed. Right. I cried. Right. So, um, so the first few days, yeah, we're really just, I overdid it a little bit because the anesthesia made me feel, it takes 24 hours for anesthesia from a spinal to fully leave your system. So I could walk, I could pee, I could do all that. I felt invincible. You're not invincible. It's the pain meds talking to you that you're invincible. (laughs) Um, So the first three days, I pretty much, we did not really have any visitors at the hospital when I was in there, which is way different than with my son. Um, And was that by choice? Yeah, it was by, I, I really didn't. Well, you can't um, go, they into can't the go into the NICU. So. They can't go into the NICU, and I wanted to be down with the babies. Mm-hmm. It was I was up in my room to get meds, to eat, and to sleep, and everything else I did next to the girls. Mm-hmm. Um, Rosalind was in; she had belly ribbon lights for a couple days. Um, they had Brady's throughout the six weeks, which is where they periodically stop breathing. Okay, um, it's really common preemie problem okay um is the best way to put it um it's just that in the uterus if they don't breathe a second it's fine they've got all the stuff so it's them learning how to breathe they still have to learn how to breathe um rosalind had a little bit more issues with her lungs so she they were given surfactant to coat their lungs to try to help them breathe at delivery um and to like help them just lungs grow and mature um Kira's lungs took it. Rosalind's did not at all. Still, 24 hours later, was pretty much right on the surface of her lungs, kind of a concept. Mm-hmm. So she had a lot more issues breathing. She was off and on um, different various CPAP and nose cannula and breathing. Um, they both had uh, caffeine at some point. And I remember a NICU nurse telling me that to drink more caffeine because it was better that they got it through my milk versus the yeah. the little. What is, so what is the caffeine for? It's to help with them remembering that breathing um, on their own to help them be a little bit more alert. Um, that was my understanding anyways. Okay. It's a lot of trying to get them to remember to breathe on their own. and Because if they sleep and they forget to breathe, it all kind yeah. of, there's a lot of monitors. Interesting. I would have never thought caffeine and once again, it's a really tiny Yeah, oh, they're of really course. They're little. Like, Let's give them a cup of coffee and a syringe. Yeah, right. basically. <laughs> um, the, the medical aspect of I never thought I would know all this medical stuff. And then you have twins who spend six weeks, foods in milliliters, and mm-hmm. everything's ounces. And those ounces matter. Like, you don't think about it when you've got a full-term baby and they come home seven pounds and four ounces, but then you have a three, four and a three, seven, and they go down to three pounds. And it's like, you gained an ounce today. Yeah. That's ounces huge. Um, I exclusively pumped. Um, we attempted latching, but they really never got the hang of it. Um, even with bottles, they were still like, Part of the reason we were in NICU was so long is because it took them a while to understand yeah. that, oh, I have to suck, swallow, breathe. I have to eat. Um, they After about two weeks in, for the most part, they were feeder growers. The first couple weeks were a little bit one step forward, two step back. Um, we had to get, because Kira was under 3'5", she um, 
had to do a routine eye exam, um, which is there's a disease that they can get in their eyes. Um, if they're on oxygen for too long, their birth weight's low, because most of these babies who are that little are on oxygen for a while. Okay. Um, and they also have to do a head ultrasound because there's risks of bleeding in the head. Um, with her routine head ultrasound, they found a pseudocyst um, in the left ventricle of her brain, um, which looked more like a blood clot. It didn't seem to affect function, didn't seem to be anything um, too... Different. They ended up doing a head ultrasound of Rosalind because they're identical, so they mm-hmm. were curious if it was a um, thing. Both of their left ventricles are bigger than normal, I guess. I don't really know what that means. Everybody's okay. brains look funny. The doctor made it out like they're they're bigger than what the normal brain is, but if we were to do a head ultrasound on you, your brain would look funny too. Like there's yeah. a very vague, this is how your brain's supposed to look okay. concept. And so they both had bigger left ventricles, but sister did not have the pseudocyst in. Okay. So they think the pseudocyst was part of delivery, either that blood transfusion aspect where sister was getting her blood and she was giving it, or just with the placenta and delivery being a little bit more traumatic on her little body. Yeah. So is that something that goes away? You just watch it or did they have to? Okay. It did. Um, They weren't 100% sure. Um, It's not something that we studied much here. Okay. Um, The doctor had to get a study from Sweden. Okay. Because they have more availabilities to that. If it did not go away, doctor had said that it really wasn't going to affect any function. It doesn't affect anything. Um, She, hers did dissipate just. That might be the wrong word, but it did disappear about eight, nine months, and she had an MRI. She's had a couple of them, and so we are officially neuros done. She's clear. Um, She had a little bit of, um, she had to do some PT for a little bit for her right side because of just making sure everything crossed, and Mm -hmm. um, otherwise you would not know that she had that. At so all. you said after a couple of weeks they became feeders growers. Is that like a common term for NICU parents? Like <laughs> they're is. they're feeding well and growing, and that's their main goal is just to keep them feeding and growing. It is. Um, in the NICU, you start in the back. The littler you are, you start in the back. That tends to be so you kind of graduate towards the front. You graduate towards the door. <laughs> okay. So when we got there, we were in this little corner, and it was both girls' beds, and you're in the back, and you could tell that you're you take a little bit more, a little bit more nurses, a little bit more machines. Um, you're back there. There's yeah, like I said, we were back. We were 32 weekers, so we were kind of surrounded. There was you know, some 26-weekers, there were some 24-weekers, there were, so you're, you're, when you're towards the back, it's generally in this NICU, you're a little bit more of a, we need to monitor you, yeah. you're not as stable. A little higher risk. You're a little bit yeah. higher risk, okay. yes. Which, it's not that you're not stable, it's just that nurses need to be checking in a little bit more and... Um, a lot of times you're in the kangaroo pods, which are the big isolates, and okay. you have you need the darker lights, and you need to be a little bit more quiet, and so you get put back there so that you can really sleep and grow, and mm-hmm. it's more womb-like towards okay. the back, um, as womb-like as you can be in a room filled with <laughs> monitors, right. and right. Um, they give these blankets. Each baby gets to go home with this big oversized blanket that they put over top of the isolates so that it can stay dark. And my girls still sleep with them at night. They're their little Nikki blankies. Oh. And um, 
then as they get a little bit bigger, um, because newer babies come in that are the younger and need the quiet and the more monitoring, you get moved to the front. And so my girls at about, yeah, two and a half, three weeks, got moved to this, like right next to a window and um, right across the nurse's station. And so, yeah, then they get put into like little bassinets because they start being able to control their body temperature and they are starting to breathe better and they don't need the CPAP. They just have the nose cannula, which is a huge, like, the nose cannula looks really scary. It's actually a lot better than like to be intubated, but it looks a lot scarier. So it's got all these bigger monitors. And um, whereas with the nose cannula, it's just these little things of oxygen and it can hide behind the bed. And mm-hmm. so, yes, as they get bigger, yes, they get closer to the door. Okay. And so for a good three, four weeks, they were feeders growers. They and were. How, when do they graduate? Like at what point do they say, okay, they're good to go? Um, they have to be breathing on their own. They need to, um, not have Brady's within, I want to say it's 48 or 72 hours. Okay. It's a decent amount of time. Um, it might be 72 because that's part of the reason that Rosalind ended up staying longer than Kira did. Okay. Um, is that she had a couple episodes and they can't sit and they have to make sure that she can go home not breathing. Now there are babies that are set home with breathing machines and, with monitors mm-hmm. and whatnot, depending on where you are and what your baby needs. Every morning, the doctors come and they give you updates on how they fed that day and what they're thinking about food-wise, what they're going to add, what they're going to change, positives that baby did. Um, and then they also, if you've got questions, doctors will sit and answer your questions. They go through rounds. It's a way that they can do the nurses from the morning to the night keep everybody up to date per baby. Um, So they also have to pass a car seat test. Um, Mom and dad have to sit and watch three different videos. There's a car seat safety test. There's a CPR class. Um, There's another one too. I cannot remember off the top of my head, but there's like a round. But they want to make sure you're going, you're going going home. home. Yep. They, as prepared as you can be. Yep, yep. They come home, and they're really – the nurses are all trained. They're trained for feeding. They are trained for um, various different – there was one that was a lactation consultant, so she sat and worked a lot on trying to get the girls to latch and have to figure out some of that. Um, they're really knowledgeable. They have also social workers upstairs that come down weekly and are like, what can we do to help? My husband and I had a 45-minute drive. Our NICU had gave us gas cards weekly to help pay for mm-hmm. driving there and back and there yeah. and back. Because there is a um, house that's, like, right next to it, but you have to be within an hour. Okay. So we were just close enough yeah. that it really – and we had a toddler at home, so we wouldn't have been able to really use that much yeah. anyway. But it was nice that they're like, what can we do to help your family make this mm-hmm. less? A little less stressful. A little less stressful. <laughs> a little less, yeah. Um, and then usually they do a room in. Um, so they send you upstairs and you're on your own with baby. Um, they'll come in and do vitals every three hours. It's basically like you leaving the hospital if you would have had a full term, so you get that night, maybe. Yeah, day you get that night. It's usually yep. Yeah, like go okay, there. I can do this alone before we go home. Mm-hmm. You go home. Babies are off all the monitors. It it gives a little bit of normalcy 
to this, they'll wheel you down in the wheelchair mm-hmm. and the whole like, this is what you do. Like I did not leave from the maternity floor when I was sent home because I could not leave from that floor empty handed. I just, I was like, I'm leaving from the NICU floor. You mm-hmm. can put everything back down to the NICU because if I leave the NICU floor, I'm just leaving the hospital and coming back. Yeah. If I leave this floor, it's, it's something in your brain, something in my brain. You. I was leaving, I was leaving my girls. Yeah. I was leaving my girls together. Yeah. It was that I'm not leaving as a postpartum mom. I'm leaving as a mom. Mm-hmm. And I think that for whatever reason that made a big difference. Um, yeah. So last question I have yes. is you finally get to take them home. Well, you won and then the other, but you finally have both babies home. Yes. How do you deal with the nerves of what if they stop breathing? I mean, every parent has this fear mm-hmm. of what if they stop breathing in the night? What? Oh, there's always what ifs. And you have like a hundred more. How do you handle that? Um, I know some parents buy like the little, the, the owlet, the owlet. Yeah. Um, I, or owlet, that might be owl- from PJ Masks. That's my daughter. Yeah, what? I don't it's know. Cool. The owl, something. the owl, the owl. There's also the one that yeah, comes under the mattress. There's a bunch yeah. of different sleeping uh, monitors. My girls came home on a schedule, so we kind of kept their schedule. Mm-hmm. I will be honest, I was over their crib, just kind of watching them breathe for a while. Yeah. Um, because you don't, and you can't. There's really not, there was an oversized chair. I pumped in their room a lot so I could watch them breathe while I pumped. Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of just eventually get a little bit less, um, I don't know if it ever A little really less goes. nervous? I mean, I, I still, really I still check my... Almost five year old right. breathing at night when I before I go to bed. Exactly. So that really never it goes away. But you get to a point where you're like, okay, these girls are healthy. They're going to be able to sleep mm-hmm. through the night, and now I can sleep through the night. Yeah, I mean, I had um, a postpartum doula that I talked to for a while because I did have a lot of anxiety, and um, the same one that was with you in the yes, hospital. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Due to just. Um, yeah, I had a lot of anxiety from NICU, a yeah, lot of fears, and um, so talking through a lot of it helped, too. Mm-hmm. I think being able to talk it out and being, you know, they're okay. They're here now. My big thing is they're here. They're healthy. They're happy. They're fierce little things, but they've had a really long day. They've had a long, rough road. Um, writing it out helped, too. They have a book they both will get that is their full NICU journey. So you would write every day? Um, like pretty close regularly regularly I wouldn't say every day um but pretty close it has their updates it had their weights um it talks about when Kira came home actually that was probably the hardest day of NICU was taking just one of them home because it felt so foreign to me I needed I I was supposed to have two there's two of you there's two of you and they'd never been apart at least when I left they were still together it was really weird to take just her home it was a very bittersweet day yeah um my our family's all, but you get to get ready, ready for one. And I'm like, yeah, for two days, and I have to take this yeah. infant in and out of the hospital, and yeah. it's not not as not as great as you think it is. I mean, it had to happen. It was fine. It was great. It was four days, and they left her bed, and they made it as comfortable as they could. But um, so her their book talks about that a little bit, and I was a little bit more open with them in their book than I was like. Facebook updating yeah, our family. Oh, sure. And so it'll be a beautiful thing for them to read mm-hmm. when they get older. For, for them sure. to see how big they how far they've come. Yeah. So. And for you to remember, because I feel like, you know, even a year ago you forget little stories and mm-hmm. um I'm a huge proponent of writing things down, especially during the newborn stage, because mm-hmm. you are in this fog 
And if you don't write it down, you probably will never remember. Right. right. And kids love to hear those stories about themselves. So I think that's a beautiful way to, yeah. to track that. Yes. Well, thank you so much. I feel like we have a million different multiples topics we can yes. talk about. Like you're pumping alone. Yes. I think that could be, um, we will definitely talk about that talk again. Days another <laughs> and all the places I've pumped. <laughs> we will talk about that for sure. Um, well, thanks. If you have any questions for Trisha, contact us at info at goldcoastdoulas.com. And uh, you can find us on our website, goldcoastdoulas.com. Thanks for listening in today. We will talk to you soon.